I'm sure that none of you have this problem that I have. Um, but the older that I get, it seems like it's harder to remember some things. And usually it's the simple things like, where in the world did I leave my keys, right? When you're in a hurry to go somewhere and do something that you can't remember those things. Um, I, uh, there's a funny poem that rings quite true more and more for me. It goes this way, my forgetter's getting better, but my rememberer is broke. To you that may seem funny, but to me it is no joke. For when I'm here, I'm wondering if I really should be there. And when I try to think it through, I haven't got a prayer. Oft times I walk into a room, say, what am I here for? I rack my brain, but all in vain, a zero is my score. At times I put something away where it is safe. But gee, the person it is safest from is generally me. When shopping, I may see someone, say hi, and have a chat, and then when the person walks away, I ask myself, who's that? <laughs> yes, my forgetter is getting better, while my rememberer is broke, and it's driving me plumb crazy, and that isn't a joke. Well, you know, remembering why you walked into a room, or where you put your keys, or your phone, or something else, those are, those are important things and struggles. But we all know this. There are some things that are much more important to remember. Uh, this morning, we're going to celebrate communion together. And uh, that uh, service is wrapped around remembering. Remembering the most important event that took place in all of human history, Jesus Christ's death on the cross for us. Uh, in Paul's letter to Timothy, we've been studying for a few weeks now, uh, Paul just talked about in the, the first half of chapter 2, he just talked about the gospel. He talked about Jesus' death and resurrection to obtain salvation for people like us. Those are Paul's words. Uh, and immediately after that, in the opening line of the part that I want to look at with you together this morning, verse 14, uh, the first phrase is, keep reminding God's people of these things. Why would he write that? Because God's people, us, we tend to forget, right? We tend to forget the gospel. We tend to forget how necessary it was for us. We tend to forget things that really are important. Um, the gospel is the most important thing to remember. But there are also some other things. And so it's a phrase that, yes, points back. Remember Jesus. Remember the gospel that obtained salvation for us. But also remember some of the next things he's going to list. And so the way I decided to approach the second half of chapter 2 of, of 2 Timothy is uh, to look at some reminders for the forgetful. So if you've got a Bible or the Bible app on your phone, if you would find 2 Timothy 2, we're going to start in verse 14. Uh, this morning. Now let me catch us all up to where, where we are. Second Timothy is the last letter, the final letter we have from the pen of the Apostle Paul. He was imprisoned. This is the second time he's been imprisoned by Emperor Nero, the Emperor of Rome. His execution was not that far off into the future, and he knew that. And so as his last communication under the direct intervention of the Holy Spirit, inspired by God, preserved for us, this is the last thing that we've got from Paul's pen, uh, he decided to write his young friend Timothy, who was serving as the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Now that wasn't an easy job. 
Uh, Ephesus was a pagan metropolis, and there were cultural forces at work uh, in opposition to Christianity in a much stronger way than I think that we we probably appreciate in our day. I, I was uh, I'm reading a book uh, titled "The First Thousand Years of Global History of Christianity," and the author quotes Tacitus. Now. Um, Tacitus was about 10 years old when Paul was in prison. So when this was written, Tacitus, their lives did overlap by a little bit there. Tacitus would go on to become a Roman senator and a very noted historian. In fact, he's one of, you hear me sometimes talk about how even secular historians document and verify what you find in the Bible. The events are not just recorded in the Bible. Secular historians verify that. Tacitus is one of those. Uh, his writings are preserved uh, through today. And uh, he, uh, he wrote about things that happened in Christianity in the first century. And what I found was just very fascinating. Very fascinating this quote in his Annals of the Roman Empire that he wrote in the around 110 or so. Um, Tacitus has this to say about the early spread of Christianity. He said this, The name Christian came from Christ, who had been executed by Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea, during the reign of Tiberius. But in spite of this temporary setback, the deadly superstition had broken out afresh, not only in Judea, where the mischief had started, but even in Rome. All degraded and shameful practices collect and flourish in the capital. Tass is clearly not a fan of Christianity. Uh, but notice his one phrase in there. He viewed the death of Jesus Christ as a temporary setback to a deadly superstition. For us as Christians, we know that the, the death of Jesus, his burial, his resurrection was not a setback at all. In fact, of a setback. It was what we all needed desperately as humanity. It was the answer that all of mankind uh, longed for. It provided forgiveness of sin, uh, hope, new life, now and forever. But in the culture that Paul lived and that Timothy lived, Christianity was viewed that way. As this deadly superstition, as something that was degraded, that was, um, uh, you know, that was shameful, um, and even though it was resilient in the death of its founder, it was this belief system to be rejected and, in Nero's time and in this time, persecuted severely. The world was more antagonistic to Christianity than we fully understand and that we fully can fathom. But you think about Timothy, Christians, you know, in that. They were living in that. They were still sharing the gospel faithfully in that. They were reaching people when it might even cost you your life in the middle of that. It was hard. And when hard happens, there's always plenty of reasons to get distracted or to excuse walking away. Uh, and Paul intentionally says, Timothy, I want you to stay on target. I want you to help other people stay on target. And this is how. Challenge people to remember what matters the most. And what I have in my list here, just in the verses that are going to come in this next little bit, is three, three reminders that are critically important. Not just for that setting, not just for the first century, but for us, for you and me, and the world that we live in. 
and the calling God's placed on our lives. And so here's, here's the first one. Reminder number one, focus on the word of truth in a world full of disorienting messages. Um, we'll get to back to the rest of verse 14, but move one verse ahead to verse 15. Paul wrote this, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Now, you'll see as I read down through the rest of these verses that that is one positive in the middle of a lot of negatives. There's the only do this in the bunch of a section of don't do this, don't do that um, in the surrounding verses. They're all negative. But verse 15, Paul says, Timothy, here's the one thing I want you to cling to. Focus on this. Um, focus on the word of truth so that you find yourself approved by God. Focus on the word of truth in a word that's, world that's just full of all kinds of other messages. Now, 2 Timothy 2.15 is actually the verse that the Iwana acronym comes from. Uh, the King James Version was dominantly used in the 60s when Iwana was created. And this is that uh, verse uh, in the, the King James study. To show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I tried to highlight the letters there. You get the A, the W, the N, and the A. And then there's an extra A you got to stick in just to make it work. But in any case, uh, that's where uh, they came up with Iwana. Approved workmen need not to be ashamed. And the emphasis in Iwana from its very inception has been helping kids understand, learn, apply the word of truth in their lives, the word of God. It is the anchor in a world that's gone off kilter. It is the only message that we can really trust. And so Paul's reminder is, is still a, a, so important for us. Um, do your best to find God's approval. How? Well, by cutting straight with the word of God. Studying God's Word. Seeking to understand it. Applying God's Word to your life. And for Timothy as a pastor, his task was to then expound that, exposit the Word of God in a way that people understand how it applies and how it fits in their lives. Um, now like I said, surrounding verse 15 is a whole lot of negatives. Um, but very relevant, I think, sounding descriptions. They're all disorienting messages that draw attention away from the Word of God. So go back where we started. Verse 14, keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. And then after verse 15, verse 16 comes right back to that. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Now, I make a little list here of uh, disorienting messages that Paul uh, challenges Timothy to avoid. The first one, endless arguments about words. Uh, anybody notice that there's a lot of that that happens in our world today? Endless arguments about what words mean and the definitions and all of that sort of thing. It seems extremely relevant to 2023, very 2023-ish. Uh, both before and after saying the Word of God is what you need to focus on, what you need to cut straight, what you need to know and apply in your life. Uh, he, he bookends that by saying, and you know, there's an awful lot of junk that people talk about. And that people argue over and that people quarrel over. Godless chatter that only makes people less than godly. 
And he, he keeps talking about that. Verse 17, their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. You got these endless arguments about words and leads to false teaching about eternity. Now, we don't know anything about Philetus, but Hymenaeus, that's a name you should practice saying several times. Hymenaeus uh, was already mentioned in Paul's first letter to Timothy in the first chapter. You find the phrase there, Paul had handed Hymenaeus over to Satan so he would be taught not to blaspheme. Now, that's not something that you want recorded about your name and, you know, eternity in Scripture, but that's Hymenaeus. Um, scholars don't really know exactly what the heresy was these two guys were promoting or teaching, but it had something to do with the resurrection, maybe about Jesus' resurrection, maybe about our future hope of resurrection. But it was false teaching, and it was destroying the faith of some. Um... Certainly there are very similar disorienting messages today. If someone steps away from, well, what does the Bible say? Somebody steps away from that as the, the foundation, as the standard. Um, steps away from the Bible's clear truth. Faith in God and hope for the next life are often early casualties. We have uh, seen in recent years the prevalence of the phrase, you've probably heard this, of individuals that are deconstructing their faith. Usually when you hear that, it comes from somebody who uh, was raised to understand the Bible as true, maybe raised to trust Jesus Christ, make a profession of faith about Him, but they've come to whatever in their life and they've decided they could not believe the Bible anymore. And so they've chosen to pull apart their faith in Christ and are now rejecting the Word of God as truth. And usually... Um, when that comes from a person of influence, it spreads. It spreads to, especially those in the younger generation, I look up to them. And if you ask, well, what's the antidote to that? The antidote is verse 15. Study the Bible. Study the scriptures yourself. Study to be approved before God. Um, properly cutting, properly handling the word, which is truth. Um, past six months, I've read two books, and I think I've probably mentioned both of them on a Sunday morning, but I've read two books that are apologetic books, and uh, apologetics, uh, the study of apologetics is the study of defending your faith. How do we defend what we believe? Um, one of them is by Neil Shenvey, Why I Believe, and the other is the book Mama Bear Apologetics. Both of them were written in the current milieu of sort of slippery slope theology away from what does the Bible say? I'd encourage you to pick up one of them or pick up something like that. Because we need to know how, the, how our faith as Christians, how our convictions anchored in truth in the Word of God are under attack today. And how to answer that. Uh, there is nothing that uh, Christianity is uh, attacked with that can't be defended with this with the truth of what God's Word has to say. But we have to know. We have to study. We have to think. Uh, we need to know what the Bible says and anchor our faith on it in a hostile, in a hostile world. The Bible is, Christianity is intellectually credible. 
despite how it's portrayed. But you have to study. You have to think. You have to come back to what does God's Word say. The last disorienting message um, I described this way, influences that promote impurity instead of usefulness. We stopped at verse 18, verse 19. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with His inscription. The Lord knows those who are His, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, prepared to do any good work. It's interesting, Paul writes there, God knows his true followers. He stamped us with the seal of his Holy Spirit, and his word is a solid foundation. He gives us a call to live lives that, that based on His Word, will turn from wickedness and turn towards usefulness. Those verses, verses 19 to 21, they highlight both of those sides. Resisting wickedness on one side and pursuing, choosing usefulness. Both of those pieces are important. Uh, just resisting the blatant promotion of sin isn't sufficient. And there's plenty of opportunity to do that, you know. Right now, in our world, our culture just promotes things that are blatantly sinful. We, and we have to resist that. Um, but we also need to supplement that with a commitment to being used of God in this world to reach people for Him. Counter your resistance to impure influences with a commitment to holiness and doing God's work in this world. I love verse 21 because the way that he says it there, just listen to it again. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter, from all the wickedness and corruption happening around, those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful, useful to the master, prepared to do any good work. That's what God wants to see in us. He wants us... He wants us to be vessels that He can use. And in a world full of disorienting messages, He wants you and me to be clean vessels that are anchored to the Word of God uh, and communicate it and the gospel to others coherently and with integrity, doing His work in this world. Paul realized, you know, Timothy, it's hard for you in the world you live in. Focus on the, the Word of God. Focus on the Word of God and don't get distracted by the, all the disorienting messages. That's the first one. Here's the second one. Flee evil desires that plague the young and often the not so young. Uh, first phrase of verse 22 is flee the evil desires of youth. Now, you're probably different than me, but some things come to mind when you hear that phrase, right? Flee the evil desires of youth. When you're young... At least this was true of me. You lean towards arrogance. You lean towards the I know everything and I am indestructible and all of that. It's arrogance and it's something to run from. When you're young, you lean towards materialism. I want everything, you know. I want as much money as I can grab and all the stuff money can buy. Uh, and you lean towards sexual passion and there's no need for me to explain that one uh, for young people. Uh, they are the usual culprits, if you will, when you phrase the evil desires of youth. And for you, maybe there's another one or two that you'd add to that list. Those are things to flee. And it is important to realize there are things that you and I need to flee 
There are temptations towards sin that we need to avoid and dodge, push back on. The, the classic illustration of that, this phrase, I think, is the story of Joseph. And you remember jo- Joseph in Genesis 39, this young man in the prime of his life. He ends up betrayed by his own brothers, sold into slavery. He's the property of a wealthy official in a far-off country. And most people would assume... When all the the dominoes fell in Joseph's life, one after another in a bad way, most people would assume God had abandoned them and they should could just go do whatever they wanted because God doesn't care about me. But Joseph was not like most people. Uh, Joseph, when... Uh, in the middle of all of that, held firmly to his faith in God. And when he's faced with sexual temptation, one of the evil desires of youth, if you will, sexual temptation from the boss's wife, he refused. And his phrasing is always so striking to me. He said, how could I do such a thing and sin against God? The God that most people would say had abandoned him. How could I do that and sin against God? And so what did Joseph do? He bolted, you know, he ran, literally, and got away from that temptation. Fleeing evil desires is often the best option when you feel temptations pull. And we can all think of some things in our lives that are desires that we know we need to resist when we're young and when we're not so young. Um, But read what else Paul said to flee. I'm splitting this verse up again. I'll come back to the rest of verse 22. But go down to verse 23. After saying, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue the right things, he continues his flee idea in verse 23. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. Interesting. I find it kind of intriguing that Paul expounded more on the whole topic of quit getting wrapped up in stupid and foolish conversations than he did anything else in this chapter, in this whole section. Um, flee evil desires and also flee don't have anything to do with stupid arguments. Now, I worded it this way. I think is a phrase that you can probably understand. Being right in the wrong way. You've seen that before, right? People that are right, but do it all wrong in the way that they're right. Um, I notice often on social media, somebody has a good point to make and goes about making it in a way that demeans others, demonizes them, uh, and is anything but kind to everyone. What Paul wrote there. Um, And fleeing evil desires includes that in the discussion. When faced with addressing topics with people, whether it's your family, the workplace, school, online... Um, that are wrong and by taking a stand might even result in Christians being treated wrong, we need to really evaluate maybe the tone especially of the way that we respond. Does your normal response reflect the words of this part of God's word? Choose, choose very carefully the things you say and the way that you say them because we need to be right but not right in the wrong way. Uh, For the youngsters in the room, Yogi Berra was a major league baseball catcher uh, way back in the day, the 40s through the 60s, I think. He played for the Yankees and the Mets. He was an all-star 18 times in his career and a World Series champion 13 times, which is impressive. 
but he is probably remembered more for some of his illogical statements than anything else. Some of them have become colloquial expressions that we use and don't realize, yeah, Yogi Bear is the guy that said that. But um, I came across this list. Yogi was the first one who said, it ain't over till it's over. Pretty much every sport you know, broadcast anymore that there's a big divergence in the score, you know, and they're trying to keep you connected, they'll use Yogi's phrase and never give him credit. It ain't over till it's over. But Yogi Berra also said, baseball's 90% mental and the other half is physical. <laughs> he said, a nickel ain't worth a dime anymore. Um, he said, always go to other people's funerals, otherwise they won't come to yours. <laughs> Stop and think about that one. Uh, he said, the future ain't what it used to be. Uh, you better cut the pizza in four pieces because I'm not hungry enough to eat six. <laughs> I use that line with pumpkin pie usually. <laughs> but Yogi's the one who thought of it first. Uh, you can observe a lot just by watching. And then the last one, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> well, that last one kind of describes the way many people, uh, especially even Christians, navigate life. Don't really think through the spiritual implications of things we do, things we say, choices we make, uh, reactions that we allow ourselves to follow. Just pick an option at a fork in the road and keep on moving. But as Christ followers, we need to think deeper. We really do. We need to think deeper. We need to remember that every decision takes us somewhere. It may move you in the direction of godliness. It may lead you in the direction of wickedness. It may move you in the direction of a foolish argument. Or it may move you in the direction of having a greater influence in someone's life for Jesus Christ. Remembering to discern that dynamic is critical. Now, the negative reminder is flee evil desires. But there's a positive side to these verses and I want you to see that too. And I worded this third reminder this way. Fully pursue the qualities that flow from a heart surrendered to Jesus. Fully pursue the qualities that flow from a heart surrendered to Jesus. After saying, verse 22, flee the evil desires of youth. The rest of it is, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Those are the things to chase. Those are the qualities to prioritize in your life. I've got I've to get after, I've got to chase after. I need God's help to be righteous, to be, have faith in Him, to love people, because sometimes that's hard. Uh, to have peace and to have a pure heart. When I read that, I was thinking how similar that is to other places in Scripture. There are traits that are marked by the presence of God in your life, but they're very similar to, for instance, Galatians 5, which is the fruit of the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is directing our lives, He produces some of those things. Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Um, those are the things that the Holy Spirit produces in us as we lean on Him and His grace and we ask for His control. He helps us pursue the qualities that show we're surrendered to Jesus.
And, and verse 22 there, it, it also echoes one of the last verses that Paul wrote in his first letter to Timothy. Uh, when I first came to Awana, and Gary remembers these, um, we would do uh, have skating nights for Awana at a roller rink over in Lake. And you can't find that anymore. It's gone. Well, the building, the roof collapsed or whatever. But, but we used to do uh, roller skating nights, and those are fun. Brought back a lot of memories for me personally because when I was growing up in the 70s and the 80s, uh, that was what we did in Awana and with the Christian school. would have skate nights in my town at the roller rink that I think is still there. But way back in those days... Uh, somewhere between the all skate and the terrifying couple skate, you know, announcement, uh, there would be a pause in the evening and uh, there would be a devotional shared usually by our youth pastor. And it struck me this week, you know, the only one of those devotionals that I remember was when our youth pastor uh, spoke on 1 Timothy 4.12. First uh, Timothy 4.12, Paul wrote this, Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. See verse 22 here that we're looking at in, in 2 Timothy 2. Paul's been saying that. Saying the same thing. Same, same thing to the Galatians. Same thing to Timothy already in his first letter. Uh, Timothy was young. He likely struggled to receive the full respect of those that were older in the church at Ephesus. Uh, Paul's advice, don't demand respect. Counter that looking down thing by living a life that people will look up to. Stand out with a character that every authentic Christ follower ought to exemplify. The way you talk, the way you act, um, your love for others, your faith in God, your commitment to personal purity. Be an example in that, Timothy. That was his challenge. And he comes back to it here. Flee evil desires. Pursue. Pursue what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Faith, love, purity. They're all qualities mentioned in verse 22. But the speech and the conduct of that exemplary life, that's going to come in the rest of the chapter. They echo these final verses. So, listen to verse 24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. I captioned this last part of it, qualities that you need to pursue, a concern for others that draws them towards Jesus. Notice what Paul says there. Opponents, opponents of Christianity, outsiders, haters, persecutors, must be gently instructed. Not demeaned, not called names, not despised, gently instructed. That's insightful and relevant. Resisting resentment as Christians in a hostile world, we are called to be people of calm, clear, rational communication about the hope we have. The message of truth. We are to share the gospel in a way that holds out hope for a change for even the vilest defender. You know what he says there? Maybe they'll come to their senses and escape from being under the thumb of Satan. Maybe. Um, 
hold out hope. And the, the things that you say, the way that you live, do that with the intention not of a rebuking or rebutting or winning an argument, but so people will see Jesus in you. Understand their peril and turn to the Savior. So many good reminders in that. So many good reminders. But I think you can just boil it down to these, these three big things. Focus on the truth of God's Word. Flee evil desires. And chase the qualities that show God's changed and is changing you. Uh, focus on the truth of God's Word. Do you take every time every day to read? Uh, to think about, to understand, to apply some piece of God's Word in your life? It's the only way to navigate through a world full of all kinds of crazy is by having God's Word the center and your focal point. It's the positive reminder that we need and that we easily forget in these times. Flee evil desires. Our world is polluted and Satan wants you to buy into that mess. And you know where you struggle. We all are different. You know where you struggle uh, the most often. Remember. Remember God's desires for you as a counterbalance to giving in. And then chase the qualities Chase the qualities that show God has changed and is changing you. It is very much 2023-ish. A negative, the sky is falling, evil can be found at every turn kind of world. And in that, as Christians, we are to be light in the darkness. We are to be salt in the corruption. We should show love and joy and peace and righteousness and self-control and faith and purity and everything in those lists. And in the way we respond to people, even people that get verbally ugly or online ugly, push back on the reactive instinct and respond in a way that reflects Jesus well. It's kind of interesting that Halver's here and he's stepping out into what he is uh, going to step into this next week. Uh, because this past week I was thinking about uh, different things from basic training. And one thing that, uh, I don't even know if they do this anymore, but one thing that I remember we had to learn in basic training was how to set up a Claymore mine. And uh, I came across a picture that is what reminded me of it. There is a reminder printed on the side of a Claymore mine, front toward the enemy. Now, why is that stamped on every mine? Well, because you don't want that thing pointing in the wrong direction. Um, that reminder is there for a reason. You don't want it pointed towards you when it explodes. And it's just really striking to me. I feel like we live in a world full of landmines. Timothy did. And reminders about the dangers are important. We need to, we need to examine, you know, what's, what's exploding in our world? What are things that we need to guard against, resist against? But we also need the reminder where to stand, which side to be on, and where do you find truth? And for this chapter, it just really highlights, you find that by focusing on the Word of God. You find that by fleeing the desires that pull you in the wrong direction, the dangerous directions. And you find that by fully pursuing being a person that represents Jesus well. In a world that is full of spiritual landmines, what about you? Are you focused? Are you following? Are you finishing well?
I'm going to have communion here in just a minute. I want to sing a song before we get to it. But let's pray together for a second. Father God, thank you so much for this morning and this challenge from the Apostle Paul. Written at a time in his life when he knew uh, that the, the finish line was drawing fast for him. And then he wouldn't have the opportunity to pass along guidance and direction and insight to his young friend Timothy anymore. And the things that surfaced bubbled to the top for Paul. This that matters most, Timothy, uh, are found in this, this section. It's the Word of God. Know the Word is truth, Timothy. Study it. Learn it. Stand on it. In a world that's crazy, that's the anchor. And then, and then represent. Represent Jesus well. Let the Word of God change you so that as you walk in this world, you show something different. You show the Savior and you draw people to Him. Father, we need that. We need those reminders and we need the reminder that we're going to gain in just a second from these elements. Help us. Help us remember what matters most. In Jesus' name.